you need to be able to reward partners. You need to be able to provide transparency, and you need to meet your partners where they are. Partners want a consistent experience. Everyone knows what it's like jumping onto a new cell phone or, or whatever. It's so hard to figure out someone's cell phone because of the way they have it configured. Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. Nice to see everyone after so long. Uh, my name is Bryn. I'm the co-founder and CEO of PartnerStack. And PartnerStack, our mission is to change the way the world sells software. So we're going to go on a little bit of a journey here today, taking us back to 2015 when we built a company and ultimately that company failed. But it was when we built the company, the lessons that we learned coming out of it were really important. They're critical to the success that we've had at PartnerStack today. And then we're going to end the session with just some big questions that we've been asking ourselves because we know you've been asking yourselves these. So let's rewind. 2015, my co-founders and I, fresh out of university, and we decided that we're going to build a collaboration platform. And this collaboration platform was like Slack, except for nonprofits, which is to say it was Slack except worse in every way. It was incredibly challenging, but lots of lessons learned. But we really were on the outside looking in. We'd never worked at a software company before. We'd never done anything. And so we applied to every single business incubator. We talked to every single investor all over the world, and everyone said no. So I could tell you that I'm, we were bootstrapped because we wanted to be, but that was certainly not the case. We were about the furthest thing away from this and every other cliche that you could possibly imagine. We were not salespeople. We did not know how to sell. What we knew was we knew how to build. We knew how to talk to customers. We knew how to iterate. It kind of got to a point where we turned around the table, look at each other, and we said, what if we just didn't need salespeople? What if we didn't need marketing? Now, it's a way too simplistic view of the world. But ultimately, what we were asking ourselves was, what if makers could make and distributors could sell? And that's a super fancy way to say that, what if we built a refer-a-friend program? And that's exactly what we did. We built a refer-a-friend program um, because like everybody else back then at Pod, you know, we were trying to be like Dropbox. It was like the blog post that everyone went and spoke to and talked about. And the people that were in this refer a friend program were quite literally our friends. They were working at marketing agencies, they were developers, they were consultants. They would send us business, we would send them a commission. It was pretty simple. We thought we invented like affiliate at one point in time, but we most certainly did not. And then what started happening is we started getting more inbound messages about our partner program than we did about our product. And if that's not telling that you haven't found product market fit, I don't know what is. So we jumped on the call and, and we spoke with many people. And, and some of those people are here in this room. So the question was, can we talk about how you're running your partner program? And like, we had no idea what a partner program was. Like, we thought we had built something totally new. This wasn't about giving away free storage. This was about paying commissions. And this was going to be this infinitely scalable channel that we could build. And that was going to be how we changed the world of nonprofit software and collaboration software. The advantage to doing something the first time is you have to talk to people. What we did in 2015 is we spoke with more than 500 software companies. And we talked to partnerships professionals in those organizations from the executive level all the way up to the board, to VPs, to directors, to managers. 
and to the people that are answering those partner tickets on a day-to-day -day basis. And we learned some fascinating things, mostly how they approached partnerships, but some of the challenges too that they'd had. Now, this is a lot. These are a number of themes that we kind of broke out. I'll run through them one by one, and there's a lot more. But what was interesting is the challenges and partnerships are different from that executive team all the way down to the person actually managing the program. At an executive level, all the executives and boards we spoke with all discussed that ultimately sales teams are underperforming. In their view, if you go into any board meeting, every executive team or every board thinks that the sales team could be performing better. But sales isn't easy. And it's not easy because if you go and hire a bunch of reps to join your company, those reps come and go. There's ebbs and flows in businesses. You know, the most successful reps are provided more opportunity. And it's incredibly challenging to build a predictable go-to-market motion around sales. It's also incredibly expensive. So that was the executive and board view of the challenge with sales teams. The second was an increasing cost of marketing and diminishing returns, quite frankly. Marketing gets more expensive as you continue to grow, not less expensive. And it's also incredibly challenging to scale. The fourth one is unpredictable algorithms. You build your platform around something like Google or one of the other search engines, and it can quite literally kill your business. At one point, we talked to a partner manager who had said they developed the partnership program because that is exactly what happened. They were really on death's door, and the partnership program changed the direction of the business, and now they're one of the big software companies out there. There are barriers to going international. It's incredibly complex. You know, if you're a European company looking to go in and enter North America, you know, it's easier today than it was in 2015, but it's still not that easy. There's a lot of expenses tied to it. You have to justify the investment to a lot of people. And then, of course, there's the challenge that we are all aware of is this discovery, this finding and keeping partners. One of the most challenging and expensive parts of our job Finding partners, it's very easy to find partners, but it's very hard to find the right partners. And then once you have the right partners, how do you get them on, get them activated, keep them engaged? And then it's all about attention. You know, there's so many people trying to go in and get these partners in, trying to grow through partnerships, because it truly is this infinitely scalable program. But it's much, as everyone knows, harder than we think. And then lastly, and, and this wasn't the case really in, in 2015, but certainly is the case today, you know, whatever the hell ecosystem is. We don't know really kind of what that is. And I think we're in the process of going and defining it. But these are some of the big themes that we took away from that conversation. And so we set out to build the world's largest sales force. We probably wouldn't have done that if we had ever worked anywhere because we would have known how challenging that was. But our goal was to build this sales force and make it easy for any software company with a flip of the button to join and benefit from these qualified partners. Importantly. We called the first 10,000 partners that signed up to PartnerStack. It was crazy. We spent most of 2015 and 2016 on the phone. I remember in 2015, one of my co-founders coming to me when we were in San Francisco at about 11 o'clock at night and asking if he could borrow my cell phone because that had the long distance plan at the time. I asked him for sure, but who are you calling? And he's like, well, I have a call at three o'clock in the morning with someone on the Ivory Coast. So we called everyone and we listened to them. I'll never forget the conversations with T. Davis as we were on the Caltrain going back to Mountain View. I'll never forget the look of the first customer success person, Nico, when we told him that his job would be to just call partners, every single partner that joined our platform. But it was important to call and speak with these software vendors and speak with these partners who are willing to talk with us to learn. And here are the five things that we took away. First, B2B is different. Everyone here knows that. B2B is incredibly complex with very sophisticated go-to-market motions. And in B2B, 
in the, as a partnership leader, you're often fighting the marketing department or the sales organization for budget. So it is important that you can show an ROI in a reasonable period of time to justify further investment. In partnerships in B2B, it's important to be able to track the life cycle of the success of your partners and to give your partners the transparency of the value that they're in fact creating. B2B is very, very different. The second thing, and I went back and forth in my head whether this should really be the first thing, but partners need to come first. The most successful programs, partners need to come first. And it's one thing to say that we put our partners first, it's another thing to make decisions on a daily basis. Do you jump on and support that partner? Whose side are you taking? Are you, as a partnerships leader, fighting for your organization when you speak with the executive team? Are you fighting for the partners who join and, and participate in your program? Are you asking your partners what they need to be successful? Or are you telling them what they need to be successful? Your partners know. Let's keep in mind, your partners, these people are not paid a salary to work with you. I don't think many of us would be here today if that was the case, if we weren't paid for the job that we went and did. So it's very important to keep and, and stay engaged and, and be speaking with your partners and to always put them first. The third thing, and this goes in line with putting partners first, you have to standardize portals. You have to standardize the partner experience. There's nothing more frustrating as a partner that if I join six programs and I have six different portals with six different workflows, with six different ways to be trained, with six different incentive structures, every time I go and submit a lead, those are six different flows that I need to manage. And remember, I do not receive a salary for doing any of it. I get value for driving value for my clients as a partner. And so you need to standardize and make it um, successful. Custom portals work in some cases very well for vendors, but they do not work for partners. Fourth, you are not Salesforce. You're not Microsoft, you're not Spotify, you're not Airbnb. These are incredibly large organizations with incredibly long time horizons that need to make investments early days that pay off months and years down the road. So if you are going to make the same type of investment that Salesforce is, you better have the same timeline that Salesforce has, and you better have the same resources that Salesforce has. What is important in partnerships for 99% of the people in this room is that we can launch, we can iterate, and we can learn, and then it allows us to go back and grow again. B2B is about layering new partner channels on top don't do it all at once, keep it simple, because Salesforce definitely does not keep it simple. And then number five, actually having run a partner program was incredibly important. I don't think we learned until we launched our own partner program how hard it is to grow throughout through partners. So partnerships are, is PartnerStack's primary go-to-market. Use our platform to go and grow through it. And the things that we've learned in the day-to-day the challenges that are coming in, the, the emails, the requests that we get, and there are a lot. That has impacted more of our channel strategy, our partnership strategy, the way that we build product than anything else. Okay, so to summarize, the needs to B2B are very, very different from B2C. And you need to be able to reward partners, you need to be able to provide transparency, and you need to meet your partners where they are. Partners want a consistent experience. Everyone knows what it's like jumping onto a new you know, cell phone or, or whatever. It's so hard to figure out someone's cell phone because the way they have it configured. You want to remove barriers to your partner's experience to allow them to ultimately drive value. You don't want to put barriers in place. And then lastly, you are not Salesforce. And fortunately, you don't need to be. We've democratized building out some partnerships through our products and portals. And there's been a slew of other 
companies that have come on market to improve this and to enable companies to get to market faster through partnerships, but do not take the recommendations that Salesforce has because you are not Salesforce. ROI matters. You are in a battle for resources as a partnerships leader. You need to justify all expenses, all investments to your executive team. And speed is of the essence. So after we've gone through that, our journey at, at Pod, the lessons and takeaways that we had from talking to those first 500 vendors and calling those first 10,000 partners, we're still asking ourselves some, some really, really big questions. Number one is, what happens when salespeople realize that they can earn a bigger living not being salespeople, but rather being independent consultants and being partners themselves. People aren't buying one piece of technology. They're buying stacks of technology today. And salespeople know how to sell that stack. If you are a salespeople person at PartnerStack, you know what complements PartnerStack, how to go in and sell it. Salespeople are going to wake up to this and they're going to realize that these partners have a great living and, and salespeople can do the exact same thing. And so we believe in the future that, that salespeople will be partners. Number two, what if affiliate isn't just a business model, but it's rather technology? And I know that this is kind of maybe a little bit needs to be unpacked here. The reason we built PartnerStack and in our Refer a Friend program built it around generally like affiliate as a first go-to-market motion is because affiliate is an incredibly effective tool at tracking lead signups and sales, at tracking the life cycle of vendors and providing transparency over to the partners. And we believe that's true. It's how we built our business. First, it's about affiliate, then it's about referral, then it's about reseller. Everyone's heard us talk about the partner pyramid. What if affiliate could be even more? Generating links is, is pretty easy. What if affiliate is the fastest way for you to get listed in marketplaces, both public and private? What if affiliate is a way for you to connect into your own partner's CRM? All of these things are, are possible, and we're going to be really excited to talk about what this looks like and the direction that this is going. Because the reality is, is affiliate is distribution and should be able to power it without the engineering resources required uh, that, that are currently required. And then the third point, what if the decade, everyone's talking about this decade of partnerships and how we're in the middle or how we just started the, this decade of partnerships. We actually believe the decade started way back in 2015 and even before that. Now, decades don't end inside of these growth engines. They just keep going up and to the right. But what's important is that you learn from the early part of the decade to apply new lessons to open up new channels that makes you grow faster. You cannot repeat what worked in 2015. You have to be doing something new because we did. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody at the CSA for organizing the event. Sunir, thank you for going first. It's not easy after two years of being behind Zoom cameras. Thank you. I just wanted to know if you've heard of any new functionalities of characteristics for a platform like PartnerStack that are being requested by partner managers. So I think that it depends on the size and scale of your company, right? If you're looking to launch a program, the most important thing is get a portal up and running. The reality too is if you're looking to scale a program, you still have to get a portal up and running. So speed to launch is an incredibly important piece. Then once you can you know, launch a program that is in fact successful, so often we start companies off with something like affiliate because it's relatively easy to get up, up off the ground, then it's about handling more complicated referral and reseller motions. And so the requests that we're getting are no longer just about, hey, how do I work with this MSP in this region? It's how do I work with the large distributors, some of which are in the room here today? How do I get listed in these marketplaces now that I'm doing some of the fundamentals? How do I do the public and, and private cloud marketplace? That's what matters. 
not necessarily the localization or like any of the super tactical things. The reality is everyone is very happy as long as their program is up, running, and growing. The moment their program isn't up, running, and growing, that's where we get very tactical questions on what's there. But in general, there's this wave in partnerships where everyone wants to get distribution. And the reason everyone wants to move in the distribution space is everyone saw what happened in 2020, right? Like we saw it. In 2020, when the economy looked like it was the world's going to come to an end, and I'm so happy that it didn't, we saw a surge of partners come onto our platform because we saw so many, unfortunately, people lose their jobs looking to replace their income. 2022 is not going to be like 2021, right? Like we all kind of look ahead of everyone can see the, the flags on the horizon for what's happening inside of the economy. And so the fight for growth is happening today. And if you're not going to be growing, if you can't grow, you know, you're going to be fighting for resources internally. And so people are really continuing to lean into partnerships because finally that executive and board level, they understand that partnerships is faster, more scalable. But what they don't understand is just how many resources it actually takes. So that's a lot of what we're hearing. Yeah, my name is Puneet Tucker. I'm from India and we are Google's largest partner in India. We manage around 12,000 customers for Google. And we also work with other vendors. What I hear from you today is all from the vendor perspective. But there are some traits which a partner also brings into the table. And what are those traits you look for when you appoint a partner or you grow them along with you, you give them your marketing budget, et cetera. That's what I want to understand. So the question is, how do we support a partner? What are the traits you look for the partner whom you want to grow along with you? So one, you have to treat every partner that comes in the door as though they'll be your most successful partner, right? You have to give them the exact same resources and, and get them off the ground. The thing that we're looking for is how big is their business? How many people work at the organization? And or a partner that has several employees is much more successful than a partner that is just starting. It's not their fault. Established partners do produce results better. That being said, an established partner requires resources. You give and train and spend so much money on training your salespeople and business development reps. Why aren't you making those resources available to the partner? So partners that are asking for resources those are like thumbs up because those partners will ask for resources, try to get up to speed on how to sell your product, not your product or your business. Partners are not your customer. Partners are your partners. Treat them as such. And so highly engaged partners asking really deep questions and trying to figure out like how their sales process can work alongside yours is incredibly important. And then partners that are asking, everyone needs to understand, partners will ask for something in return. Because you are asking for the world from them and giving them nothing. And so partners that are asking for things in return, this is actually a good sign. What you should be looking for when those happen is, can you give me an example with a vendor where you've had a vendor relationship before in the past where that's worked? What worked about that? When you have a highly engaged partner asking you questions, giving you examples of how they work with partners, that is going to be an incredibly successful partner. Not that the you know, one person shop cannot be successful. But you need to distinguish between you know, a low maturity partner and a high maturity partner. And you need to know that there's different investments required right across the curve. A low maturity partner is all about educating, ramping, supporting them on their journey, and accepting that the reality is, is they might not perform. Most of them don't. In that mid and high maturity, there's more complex processes that are put in place. And you need to be able to meet that partner for where they are, because it's very likely that that high maturity partner is way further along the path than, than you are. We look at many of the distributors and MSPs globally, and these are highly mature organizations that are managing things like 1,200 customers. They know 
how the go to go to market. Just ask them and work with them on it. So we look, those are some of the things that we look for. And then the last point is you need to be looking for when there is a successful partner and for why they dropped off. Those are some of your biggest lessons. You're gonna screw up. Everyone does, we have. What was the drop off? Do a retro, the same way as you do a retro when someone leaves your company. Treat a partner like they're an employee of your company, but understand you are not paying that employee. That's a huge disconnect for what I think that we have here today. So you have to drive real value to that partner. Thank you for the question. Uh, sorry, the question was, have you seen any frameworks that help you better assess the maturity of a partner at the early stages so that you can better score them or evaluate them and, you know, sort of 80-20 principles there? Is there anything like that? Yes, and I'm happy to kind of go into it. But the other framework that's really important is just an understanding that you're managing a funnel. A certain percentage of the partners will go through every stage of the funnel and, and come out the end. Everyone here, it's not an 80-20 rule in partnerships. It's really a 90-10. Uh, but what we look for is total size of company, total approximate revenue range, understanding of who their core customer is. You're looking for a partner, ideally, that has the same customer type over and over. If a partner is managing a relationship with like, you know, a Fortune 100 company and is also managing their local dental office, it's probably not a great partner because they're going to be customizing solutions um, for what's there. Not that it can't happen, but that's not something that we would suggest. So some predictability that ends up being there. And then the other best thing is like, can you walk me through a case study? Can you introduce me to a vendor that you work with now that would be open to the conversation that might actually complement my product? Because if they can help you do that, that's often why partners are going and reaching out. They can understand it like the, in detail why it worked, how it worked, and, and really unpack what's there. And then it's ultimately your responsibility to make them productive. But you do need to treat it as though it's a pipeline. There will be a large drop-off at every single stage. But those are the primary questions that I go and look for. And then the other thing is, what do you need from me? If the partner cannot tell you what they need from you, you're going to waste each other's time. And, but you have to ask what do you need from me? Most people aren't asking. And you also have to be okay to say, like, I can't do that because. And those are the productive conversations that need to occur. Thank you for the question. Fantastic. Bryn, great. thank you very much. If you like this and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe. And join us at thecloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.